Thank you very much, Josh. And that, think, that links because today we're going to be thinking about hallowed be your name. Um, Lord God, speak to us uh, now as we spend this time thinking and talking together. Amen. I'd like you to take a look at the screen where we're going to watch uh, a version of the Lord's Prayer together. So that was an advert commissioned by the Church of England a few years ago for their Thy Kingdom Come prayer initiative. It was actually produced to be shown in cinemas, but it was banned by the Cinema Advertising Standards Agency under grounds of religious discrimination. Would you believe it? So it, uh, it made it out of the internet, but it never actually made it into the cinema. So we are going to be continuing our journey through the Lord's Prayer. And we, we tell, as I said last week, we often say to new Christians, you should pray. You should pray, but we don't say how, or we don't teach people how to pray. Well, Jesus' disciples asked him, um, Rabbi, teacher, Jesus, how should we pray? And Jesus responds and gives them this prayer, which is perhaps one of the best known bits in the Bible and, and certainly the best known prayer of all time, our Father in heaven. And we've broken the prayer into three sections. Actually, it does it itself, but we've split the prayer up into three. Last week, we looked at this first one, our Father in heaven. It's almost like when you address a letter, dear somebody, it's the bit at the beginning that works out who you're addressing, our Father in heaven. That's who we're talking to. Today we're thinking about hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm thinking what that might mean. And then next week Andy is going to be wrapping it up with give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Now you might recognise that first section is who the prayer is addressed to, the next section is about God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. So that's addressing God, God's characteristics. And then the, sec- the third section is give us our needs, our forgive us our debts, our trespasses. So it's about us. And last week we looked at our Father in heaven and we thought of what that might mean. To, to the one who gives us the gift of life, to the one who gives us each day and each breath as a gift, breathe, take a, that is a gift. That is a gift of God, this moment that we have, to the one who gives us life, to the one who defines us as sons and daughters, who defines us as brothers and sisters, to the one who orders the house, who lives in perfection in heaven, where where things are where God wants them to be, where there is no famine and no war and no persecution, to the one who lives in perfection, this is who we address our prayer to, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I'm sure you don't want to sit here and listen to me rattle on about that for the next 12 minutes. So what we're going to do is you're going to turn into those groups that were in your quiz. And I want to ask you a question. Just quickly, what do you think, and if you were here this morning, don't cheat and use my answers. You can, if you've heard other sermons on this in the past, you might have some other ideas. You might just... Have some ideas of your own. That's good. That's right. We discuss this together. And then I'll tell you some of the things that I've read and some of my thoughts. What do we think hallowed be your name might mean in the context of this prayer? So I'm going to give you two, three minutes to turn into your groups and discuss what you think hallowed be your name might mean. Okay, so let's um, let's draw your conversations to a close. Does anyone want to offer... 
a, a quick, can anyone in a, in a simple sentence summarize what they think hallowed be your name might mean? Yeah. Holy be your name, yeah. So hallowed means may your name be holy, holy be your name. Anyone think what holy be your name might actually look like or, or be or mean? Anyone come up with any suggestions and is brave enough to share them? Yeah. Praise and respect to the name. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. So, in in Jesus's day, your name was inseparable from your reputation. So, well, actually, first of all, hallowed. Hallowed means this. So, to make holy, to consecrate, or to greatly revere honour. So, we might talk about the hallowed turf of Wimbledon. So it's something that's holy and set apart. So you were right, Andrik, absolutely. It means holy. Proverbs 21 says this, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. So your reputation, your name, how honourable you are, your name was considered, according to the Proverbs, more important than how rich you were, that you should have a good name. And it kind of reminds me of, the, of, of one of the commandments. Uh, this is the new King James. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, yes. Now, I've heard it said, and I think it's absolutely right, you shouldn't use Jesus' name as a swear word. Because that is just straightforward disrespectful. And people often say that's what these ideas mean well they do mean that but that's very shallow there's a very surface reading of what it actually means because there's a lot more going on behind the scenes in fact the original hebrew is better translated you shall not carry the name of your lord god in vain because you see the israelite people their job was to carry the name yahweh to to carry the name into the world to see that his will was done that Justice and righteousness and the widow was looked after and the, the poor were cared for. And that's what it meant to carry the name. They, they had this covenant with God. God had said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And you were to carry the name Yahweh and to be an example. They'd been blessed to be a blessing to other people. So that's what it meant to carry the name. So it's a bit like, for example, when, when, say, Prince Charles or Prince William goes and visits a foreign country on behalf of the Queen. We might say that they're going on, on, in her name. They're going on her behalf. And they don't want to do anything to ruin that reputation. Or perhaps you might imagine one day you're in blue water and you're doing your shopping. And over the tannoy you hear, would the parents of so-and-so, Ingram, please report to the security. Of course, you're in the guy, I recognise that name. That's, that could be our pastor. I wonder what's going on. So you kind of make your way to security as well to hear what's going on. And, and there I, and, and I, I've responded, I've gone to security. And there's, there's, of course, this would never happen, Ben, would it? But there's one of my children there and, and the security guard's got them by the scruff of the neck and said, sorry, he said he forgot to pay for it while leaving the shop. And you'd be sitting there looking over the shoulder going, yeah, you see, I knew it. That would have brought disrespect to our name. And it would reflect on me. It would, it would, I mean, it shouldn't do, but in some ways, in culture, it would reflect, reflect on what you thought of the parent. 
Does that make sense? So hallowed be your name. If God's name is the one we're talking about, then to hallow your name is to, to honour the name, to carry that name rightly into the world and to do nothing that would dishonour it. So when we hear of famine and when we hear of war and we see bombed out pictures on the TV and our heart breaks, we know that the world is not ordered as it should be and that's not an honouring of the name of God. Worse still, when in churches we hear stories of, of, of abuses, that is not honouring the name of God. That is dishonouring the name of God. So when we say, hallowed be your name, that's what I think it means. Okay, well done. That's one. One of four. Your kingdom come. Two minutes in your groups. What do we think your kingdom come might point towards? Okay, so folks, what do we think? Anyone got an offering of what they think your kingdom come might? Andrik? Uh, your glory come? Your glory come? Could be, yeah. Kingdom's about God's glory. Could be, yeah. Anything else? Anyone else got it? Yeah. Uh, Edward? Yeah. A future hope. Yeah, no, brilliant. So the, a kingdom is an area or a domain or a realm or, or, or an area that's ruled by a king. Where the king makes the rules and the king, things are ordered as the king would like to have it done. So we're praying that the world would be ordered as God would have it ordered. That his kingdom would come on earth. That things would be as the king wants it to be. Interestingly, um, I didn't include this in this morning's talk, so you're getting a bonus this afternoon. The only time in the Old Testament it talks about the kingdom coming is in Micah chapter 4. And it's the only time where a kingdom is talked about as coming. It's in Micah chapter 4 verse 6, I think, around then. And it's this idea that the scattered tribes of Israel will be gathered back together along with the Gentiles into a new Jerusalem and a new temple where they would worship God. And it's this vision of, a, of an end time when things would be as they should be. That kind of vision from revelations of the new heaven and the new earth, the kingdom. But we pray, God, that kingdom, that vision we have of a future, when everything is put right, bring that now. Your kingdom come. Let's see it now, Lord. Please bring more of it now. And what, but what I think we sometimes miss is how explosive and political the word kingdom was in Jesus' time. Because Jesus lived in a kingdom... These were two of the rulers. This is Herod Antipas and this is Tiberius Caesar. And you know that the, the, the Roman Empire ruled great swathes of the world at that time. And Herod Antipas was the local ruler who ruled on behalf of Rome. And Herod Antipas was a nasty piece of work. He was a really nasty piece of work. There's some horrible stories in the historian Josephus about how, how nasty this man was. He, he, he's the one who had John the Baptist killed. At one point, Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Herod Antipas wants you killed too. I wonder why. They didn't want Jesus killed because he was going around being nice to people and healing people. They wanted 
Jesus killed because he was talking about a different kingdom. And the kingdom that's in power feels threatened by this other kingdom. Jesus killed by the Romans for sedition. And um, so your kingdom come has fiercely political overtones. This kingdom that should be about justice and mercy and grace and righteousness, we want to see that kingdom come. And in Jesus' day, talking like that, well, it's likely to get you killed. And we know the rest of the story, don't we? So your kingdom comes a dangerous proclamation, a dangerous thing to pray. And perhaps in some places in the world, perhaps in some ways it even is now to pray your kingdom come. Your will be done. Three minutes, go. Actually, you probably don't need three minutes, so I'll give you one. Okay, so folks, what do we th- why do we think it says your will be done as well? Why does Jesus pray that in addition? Isn't he just reiterating, saying the same thing that he said before in a new way? Or is there anything about your will be done that makes it special and unique? Yeah. I think it's the one who prays, who prays, humbles himself to say, I pray to you, but let your will be done. Whatever I ask, but let your will be done. Yeah. No, that's really nice. And that's not something that I thought of. So thank you. That's probably better than my answer. <laughs> yeah. So you say you're, you're, it's, it's, it's deferential, isn't it? Say to the other person, actually, your will be done, not mine. Well, the things that you want to come to pass and happen. Um, the Israelite faith, the Hebrew faith that Jesus is, was, part of, uh, was, was a Jew, part of the Jewish religion, an Israelite. And if you know anything about Hebrew faith, it does have ideas and concepts. It is, there are intellectual ideas within Judaism. But Judaism is a really grounded faith. It's a really, we might call, talk about it as a sort of concrete actions, is the way you might talk. So, so, so there's, there's ritual and there's things you do, in, and your faith is expressed not by sitting around talking about abstract ideas about what God might be like and how you might like, God might like you to behave. If you read and study the history and, and, and the, the Hebrew religion and faith, it's very concrete. So it's about, let's leave the land fallow one year in every seven. Let's, uh, let's make sure we're not being dishonest in our business practice one to another. Let's observe a Sabbath day and make sure we... Do you see what I mean? That the faith is expressed. Now, we might say, well, that's overly ritualistic these days. Or that's overly religious. I'm spiritual, but not religious. But actually, the Jewish faith is very grounded in actions. And those actions keep you grounded and rooted in your faith. And, and they're about practices, about will. So as well as about abstract ideas, it's about how do I need to behave? How, how do I live this out? How do I do what you want me to do? What actions do I take? Your will be done. The will is about, in my mind, is about action. Will and action, they kind of have a, have a relationship what should I do? So how can I respond? Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. I'm not going to ask you to turn into groups and talk about this one because we're out of time. But on earth as it is in heaven. Let me find my notes and make sure I don't. We're back to this place. This place where God's will is done. Where... Where things are as they should be. 
where the king lives and his kingdom is, is fully realized, a place of liberation and hope and joy and peace and shalom. And, and, and the, the hope of this prayer is, Lord, may this earth become more and more like that. And I guess the only thing I want to say is note the direction of travel from heaven to earth. That's the direction of travel of Jesus' prayer. Um, I grew up with a, a, a Christian faith in the, I became a Christian in the early 80s, through the 80s, where, where, where faith was, was explained to me as my ticket out of here, my passport to heaven to a better place, and the travel was, was us escaping to there. Does that make sense? Kind of an escape pod Christianity. Whereas actually the, the heart of Jesus' prayer isn't may your kingdom come, may we all get to heaven when we die. This Lord, may your kingdom come, may heaven come to earth now. Where may we be involved in living lives in such a way buy more divine chocolate because it helps a bit. You know, may we live in such a way that heaven is brought to earth by our actions. Piece by piece, person by person, action by action, until eventually that vision in Revelation is realised. Heaven and earth are one place and God dwells with his people. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To the one who runs the household, there is a better way to run this place. So please show me my role in it. Show me how to honour your name, guard your reputation, to seek your kingdom. But do so in concrete and tangible ways so that earth may be more like heaven. Would be my paraphrase. And the core of the prayer is about participation. There is something here that needs to be done and God is inviting us and calling us towards the ideal and each of us has a role to play. There is more to being human than simply getting through the day. We are called to carry and bear the name and the image of God in such a way that his kingdom comes. And each day, each moment is a fresh chance a fresh chance to think about how can I live this life more faithfully. And this prayer is a plea, Lord, change me. Show me how and where I should participate. It's deeply personal, but it's also incredibly communal. And one person said of this prayer, it disturbs the comfortable and comforts the disturbed. It's a prayer to be grounded and centred in God's will and God's heart. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And can I remind you of a few things you might want to try this month of January. One is try praying the prayer every day. Just find a slot when you boil the kettle, say this prayer once. Just once each day for each day of the month of January. If you've got more time, chew it over, say it slowly. Dwell on each of the words and think of what it might mean. Let your mind, your heart, your imagination wander around each word and ask, invite God to speak to you through that process. We've got a conversation going on Facebook around what prayer looks like and what prayer might be and how we might pray better. I said to you last week I'd send you all invitations. I'm not allowed to do that now under GDPR apparently. So you need to click the join button so if you like our Facebook page, if you go to the post on there, you'll see an advert for BGBC Prayer School. There is a button that says join. 
once you have requested to join, I can then allow you. But it has to be from you to me, not me to you, if that makes sense. So click on that, join in the conversation. And come back next week where we'll carry on the journey looking at the next section. Can I invite you to stand? The musicians make their way towards their instruments. And we will say together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom the glory, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.